Hey guys, before we get started with today's episode, I would just like to announce that I have opened up a Patreon page for the podcast specifically. Like many other people at the moment, we have been economically hit fairly hard by the COVID-19 crisis. Uh, at present, we're actually producing about 250 minutes worth of podcasts per week, and I'm just looking for any small contributions anyone's willing to make, and they are all very much appreciated. If you want to head over to patreon.com forward slash Chris Carl Photography Podcast, uh, any donations are massively, massively appreciated. I will be releasing some podcasts as early access on my Patreon, as well as some vlog style videos and exclusive podcasts that will only be available on the Patreon. So any contributions help, but let's crack on with today's episode. What came first, the food or the photography? Ah, wonderful question. So for me, it was definitely the food. Uh, I've been into food ever since I can remember. And it was odd because I didn't really grow up in a household where food was like a central part of the equation. And certainly my mom's got some great recipes and my grandmother's got some great recipes, but uh, it wasn't necessarily like a cultural component to our family. And my mom had, you know, roughly 10 different dishes that she had on regular repeat on our dinner table. So there wasn't really like a culinary force there. Um, but I, you know, being a young kid was definitely exposed to a lot of food entertainment. You know, I think that when I was growing up, suddenly, uh, you know, the PBS programs, the public broadcast programs of Two Fat Ladies and Yan Can Cook and the Frugal Gourmet and all these different cooking shows that started, uh, you know, in the 1980s, 1970s that, that I kind of grew up with and was uh, definitely fascinated by and taken with. And so, you know, I remember being 10 years old and asking my mom, you know, can I cook dinner tonight? And she's like, what is with this? Like, who is this kid? And, you know, I'd read cookbooks. <laughs> And uh, I remember at one point I asked to make tandoori chicken and my mom's like, I don't even know what tandoori is. What are you talking about? You know, so it was definitely food. Just um, I connected with it in a very real way in the culinary community and, you know, then kind of the rise of Food Network and really enjoying all of that content. Uh, and so then definitely once I moved to New York, then I lived in New York, right? And my husband and I, when we uh, were first married, we moved to the big city to have the big city experience. And and, you know, started to be exposed to a lot of great culinary. I mean, even though we didn't make any money, we were super, you know, just newlyweds, didn't have a lot of money, but the money we did have, we spent on food and some culinary experiences. And that's where my, my eyes really were open to what was possible. And then also started to cook a lot more um, creatively for myself. And so then in uh, 20, well, off and on over the years, once blogs started to become a thing, I started food blogging and sharing content online and started interviewing chefs through a podcast. And, you know, kind of one thing leads to another. another. And at a certain point, as I'm creating content for the internet, sharing recipes, sharing stories of chefs, going out to dine, sharing that content online, I started to uh, pick up a camera and then suddenly fell in love with that medium because uh, I'm also a very visually oriented person. I just really love art um, as a creative medium and photography really spoke to me. And so uh, marrying the combination of food and photography, now I've suddenly found myself with a career that um, you know I feel so uniquely blessed to get to do. And uh, it just really checks all those boxes for me. 
I think photography has to always be the accompaniment to what your real interest is. And that's a common mistake I see a lot in England is people are interested in photography or they're interested in the gear or they're interested in the process, but they take no interest in the subject. Do you think that having like a really vested interest in the subject of food is what produces your best work as opposed to just being photographically literate? Absolutely. You know, I've always felt super grateful that that the food came first for me because it is my focus and that within the context of photography that I have a focus. And I think that from a marketing standpoint and a business standpoint, uh, that that's very helpful because I agree. You know, I go to photo festivals and I connect with other photographers who are like, well, I like to do this kind of photography and this kind of photography and this kind of photography. And it's harder, I think, for you to then get hired within a specific genre if you're not creating that focus. So I've always felt very fortunate that I have that focus. And, you know, I mean, I'll do the odd job of, you know, family Christmas card photos and, you know, family portraits and, you know, occasional headshots for family and friends, but it's, it's not my true passion and my love. You know, it always comes back to the food because it's truly that subject matter that captivates me, that gets me excited that when I know I'm shooting food that day, I mean, I'm excited to wake up. And so I think that, yeah, it really helps to then also inform to you know, how you're investing in your equipment and how you're investing in your education within photography, because, you know, there's plenty of folks who come across my work who are portrait photographers and go, I don't know how you do this with food because it really is, you know, it's an art in and of itself. Uh, it's, it's a focus that's very different in some ways. And so I'm, I'm very fortunate to have found that passion and to um, continue to stay focused on it. Well, we found you. Uh, so I have it's kind of strange. So I'm a photographer now by trade, but going back, I was actually a chef uh, coming out of school and in my sort of early adult years. But I have no interest in food photography from a standpoint, I guess probably being English, we don't have a tremendous amount of good food, but um, I didn't have a, an initial interest in food photography. We found you because uh, my wife's very interested. We shoot weddings and she's very interested in ways to shoot details at weddings and way to shoot uh, flat lays and, and things like that. We found a flat lay video of yours. And so you're my wife's favorite YouTube photography personality. She absolutely loves watching your videos. And we found you that way. And it's amazing how much we actually were able to translate from the sort of the broad range of videos that you do about composition and about sort of using color as a, as a kind of compositional dynamic and layering images, uh, layering uh, subjects within an image and so on. It's, it's something that I think there's very few photographers on YouTube are actually able to do, which is produce something that's, uh, transformative to different genres. So. Not to be a, a complete dick, but I actually disagree with you about the the ability to translate what you're doing because maybe not for portrait, but I think for pretty much everything else, you you have. I mean, let's let's talk about your YouTube because you're so transparent with your teaching. Let's start off with something you do that I've never ever um, seen on YouTube before, which is you do like a book club. Oh yeah, I do. I do. I, uh, it was definitely a lot of fun getting that started because I think I hit a certain point at which I was creating content. Uh, and I thought, you know, I mean, I know a lot and I know what I know, but what, what do I not know? And obviously too, I feel like I'm always expanding my skill sets and enjoy reading and reading other people's perspectives and other people's work. And I thought, let's just, let's pull in some other books and do some deep dive focuses for several weeks because, 
uh, on the one hand, it makes it easier to create the content for me because then I'm teaching from somebody else's work. But I think too, you know, now in having connected with some of these authors that it's also, there's a lot of upside for them that it's exposing uh, this maybe audience of, you know, because like you said, you know, I'm so flattered all the time when folks from different genres of photography come across my work. Uh, and there's definitely a lot of food bloggers who don't come from, you know, more traditional photography background who do end up on my channel. And so then exposing them to other great photographers who've authored books uh, continues to expand their skill set and continues to bring, uh, you know, a, so much talent to the forefront. So I have a lot of fun with the book club. Uh, and, and I am definitely always looking for great titles. So if you've got any books that you want me to focus on, absolutely. I, and I like to focus on books that are not food photography, because I think, to your point, I think that we can always gain so much when we focus on photography that's outside of our own personal discipline. I go to a lot of portrait photography workshops and other things like that, because I, I learn so much more about how to look at light, composition, staging, all those different things. I see it differently through somebody else's eyes. And so absolutely, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun to have a book club. Well, I always think that whatever creative medium you're working on, it's it's the same as music. Like music progresses when you take a little bit of jazz and apply it to rock, or you take a little bit of this and apply it to that. You know, that's how rock and roll came from blues and so on. You always are progressing by kind of borrowing from other genres. So that's what photography could be. But let's just quickly do a U-turn and find out why did you first join YouTube? What was the initial idea with you becoming a YouTuber? Well, YouTube. So I'd had another channel prior to the bite shot. Uh, I had the grand aspirations as probably do many to have a cooking show, you know, that I really love to cook. And so I was creating video content on another channel, which still exists. And there's a lot of really embarrassing videos there. But what was great about that <laughs> channel is <laughs> that it was an excellent opportunity for me to learn video. Uh, you know, I knew enough to be dangerous in photography and photographing my own recipes and things like that. But by creating over 200 cooking videos of myself by myself, doing the entire process from you know, storyboarding to audio to video to editing the whole kit and caboodle, and then really learning the YouTube platform and what worked and what didn't work. And what was interesting is on that channel, it, which never really got much traction over the course of two years and 200 videos. And I talked to a YouTube consultant at one point who said, you know, I said, what's wrong? Like I'm doing all the things right. I'm publishing three times a week. I've got, you know, my content continues to get better and better. I'm doing all the best practices that everybody tells me and it's going nowhere. And he said, yeah, there's just, it's boring. It's not interesting. It's not helpful. And I'm like, Oh, I mean, talk about like a sucker punch. To <laughs> you know, just invested all this time and energy and, and, uh, just to hear that. But what was very fascinating was that there was, there were two videos that performed very well. One was how to make whipped cream, which I, you know, I would think is like, really how to make whipped cream is going to be my top video. Uh, but there was another video, which was me just doing a quick tutorial of how I shot my food photos and the thumbnails for my food videos. And that was one of the top performers on the channel. And I thought, wow, this is really interesting. And again, going back to that old video, I mean, I, I was shooting in a bedroom with, you know, west facing window and you know, all, all the things that are, you know, kind of more or less wrong, but were still great at the time and were definitely representative of where I was and helpful to certainly people who are just getting started. And I thought, wow, this is really interesting. 
And, but I thought I could never turn this into a, a channel all in of itself. That would be crazy. I mean, how could I ever create enough content to sustain an entire channel on food photography? And so time went on and I started getting asked by local food bloggers and other folks to like teach small workshops. And I got really tired of teaching people how to shoot their camera in manual mode. Cause I thought this is a basic foundational skill. Like if you, if you want to take control of your work and if you want to propel it forward, you have to understand aperture ISO and shutter speed, like no bones about it and white balance. Like these are the foundations. So I thought, so I thought, well, for these workshops, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put those lessons onto YouTube. Cause you know, I already know YouTube and I know how this works. So I'm going to just create a channel where I can put this food photography content. So then when I go teach, these workshops that I already know that they have a cursory understanding of these basics that I don't have to keep teaching that over and over again. And so I had put those first couple videos out and then sort of on a whim also started an Instagram account with it, uh, but otherwise didn't necessarily intend for it to become, you know, a, a business in and of itself. Um, and suddenly all there were people showing up and the numbers in comparison to what I had seen on my previous channel, it was like, Holy crap, like th this is absolutely bonkers to me that suddenly <laughs> there was this audience there and people craving this very particular content. And I was fortunate then to have done, you know, 200 videos on another channel to have made all the mistakes before so that the content was quality, that my ability to be on camera was good, that all of those kind of mistakes had been made. And, and I think it was then the recipe that set the channel up for success and, and very quickly turned into a, a whole other thing on its own. <laughs> One thing that I always find when I talk to people who are involved in teaching in any sort of creative form is that they find the perspective of externalizing what they know to teach other people. They often actually teach themselves the conscious side of what they've been doing subconsciously through people asking them questions they didn't expect to answer or anything like that. Do you find that teaching has actually taught you quite a lot that you can bring into your commercial work? 10,000%. Yes. I, that my education through providing education has been monumental, that I would not be as skilled of a photographer as I am today if it hadn't been for putting myself in the position of teaching others. Because absolutely, you know, I think that when you're just doing your craft and you're especially starting out, you know, you kind of know what you know, but to kind of expand past that. And so absolutely by having this audience that's asking me questions and wanting to know, like, you know, how do I use extension tubes? I'm like, okay, well, let's learn about extension tubes. And now let me teach you how to do extension tubes because, uh, you know, all these different things, you know, you, you, it's such a vast world in terms of photography. So I'm absolutely learning new things all the time from the audience and then turning it back around to share it right back to them. Because uh, I do, I do believe that I've got a very unique gift in terms of being able to communicate uh, complicated concepts and teach things and you know, prior to my life in food photography, I did spend a number of years in teaching and training on college campuses. And so I think that that unique background uh, helps give me an advantage in terms of being able to teach, you know, certain things that I think other times people, you know, back button focus, for example, is something that I think evades a lot of people for a long time. You're like, I just am not understanding it. And I'm like on a personal mission to, you know, teach everybody back 
button focus. Uh, and so, but, you know, by being able to distill down and explain in very tangible ways and make somebody experience that, um, that's something that I'm always striving for. And, and hopefully that's where the transformation starts to happen for people. Well, to that point, um, something that you do, which is very rare because most of the time when you talk about photography and YouTube and photography gear, people tend to be sort of selling things or giving out affiliated links. And they're more interested in kind of how they can just promote a product regardless of what they think of it. Whereas you actually have adopted several camera systems so that you're able to teach people who use different systems than the one you currently use how to how to get the same results. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. As of today, I was actually kind of joking with my husband the other day. I thought, you know, I could have probably gotten a lot of free gear out of this gig over time. (laughs) I just, I never feel right about it because I, I hate feeling like I'm in the position of having to do something for a brand or a company or a product that I, I really appreciate my freedom to be able to do whatever I want, however I want it, and speak candidly about what I like. Now, you know, if, if there's something that I don't legitimately like, I just generally won't share about it. But um, otherwise, yeah, I really don't do... I've done a handful of sponsored pieces of content for the channel. And I just... It kind of always left me feeling... Like I just, it didn't feel authentic, and I feel like the connection that I have, and the and the responsibility that I have to my viewers is is paramount, uh, and I think is a big part about why you know the viewers trust me is because they know that yeah, Joni's not here just trying to hawk stuff. I mean, certainly, uh, you know, I've monetized the brand so that I can continue to create content, but it's within uh, a context that I feel good about, and I and I feel genuinely. Uh, is helpful to people. Yeah, there's a, there's a sort of a mismanagement of the idea, I think, of monetizing what it is that you do in the sense that if you're producing something, you put a lot of work, like with what you do, there's a lot of energy goes in. You can tell just, I have never obviously seen you uh, at work when it comes to your videos, but you can just tell by the production, by the thought that's gone in, by the sort of, you don't just cover it from one side, but you actually cover certain subjects from two or three angles in a sense of like actual intellectual acknowledgement of how certain things that you even try and figure out the mistakes other people are going to make, which is quite impressive to monetize that. There's nothing wrong with that at all. And, and it's, it's not something I would ever suggest. It's the product that you put out is of a quality that you should be monetizing it without a shadow of a doubt. And it's just a case of, I think that the, I think the YouTube community has been sort of tarnished by a few in the sort of larger realm in terms of following, just kind of taking advantage of that and pretending that this product's the next best thing and that product's the next best thing. And and in a sense, I mean, I don't know how much you know about the portrait world or the, the especially the fashion world, but the Instagram side of the fashion world is just full of models that are selling you tea that could give you diarrhea so you lose weight for two days and they get a bit of oh, money for selling it. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the thing that gets me so excited is especially when I find something that's super affordable and totally works. And, you know, like the feeling I got, cause I thought, you know what, people see me shooting with the 5d Mark four and the 24 to 70 F 2.8. And the, you know, they see the gear and the strobes and all this stuff. And they think it's, you know, and especially like the content I'm creating and the reason that I always come back to why I do what I do and sort of that, those people that I'm creating the content for is folks who are just starting out and I don't want them buying that stuff because 
I, nothing makes me happier than when I went on B and H uh, and you know bought myself a two hundred dollar used Canon Rebel T two I. I mean, that thing came out in like two thousand ten. It's you know, it's eighteen megapixels. It's it's not necessarily like some sort of big fancy crazy camera. It's two hundred dollars. And then I you know bust out the kit lens. I'm like, I'm not even putting the nifty fifty on this thing. We're just gonna go all out. And and it created great shots that people are loving and that I feel excited about. And so it just gives people that confidence because I know exactly what that feels like to be in that position of like, do I really need to go spend $2,000 to feel like a real photographer? And I go, no, you do not. You absolutely do not. So I get so excited when I see folks doing great things with speed lights and doing great things with entry-level gear because that, I think, just helps give people the confidence and to do what I think is more important. It's that creativity that you're bringing to it. It's that creative eye. And then when you're to the point where you know why you want to buy the $2,000, $3,000 camera, then you're informed enough to know why to make that decision, but just buying it because you think that that's going to make you feel more confident. That's, I always try to kill that. (laughs) Definitely. It's, I think it's a very, it's very strong, especially I think within sort of the male photography community of the new piece of gear is the fastest, you know, it's essentially the fastest car or it's, it's the, you know, the loudest, most bells and whistles thing that's going to get them to that next level. And um, my go-to answer whenever I'm asked by someone about whether or not they think they should buy this new camera or this new lens is just, do you think you need it? And they say, well, I, you know, I don't know. And I say, well, do you know what, if, if you needed it, you'd know, like you'd be hitting that ceiling pretty hard. And I don't spend money on gear unless I absolutely have to. I'm not particularly a big fan of gear shopping. And I find actually conversations with a lot of male photographers quite difficult because they seem to be so gear centric. And I actually just kind of like talking about the person behind the photos, the process behind the photos, especially influences I'm always fascinated by. I think gear takes up way too much of the sort of the vocabulary of people who are interested in photography and it actually holds them back in the end rather than moves them forwards. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it becomes a fixation. And, you know, I certainly, I always know when, when that kind of personality ends up in the comment section of my videos, cause, and, and that was something I was very scared about when I first started. Cause I thought I'm, I'm just like this goofy girl that's got a camera and likes to take pictures of food. Like I'm not going to be taken seriously. I'm not, you know, like all those sort of that internal dialogue and, and inevitably as the channel started to grow, those kind of personalities who are the pixel peepers and the perfectionists and the people who are super into the gear and, you know, which is great. And, you know, I'm not here to tell anybody how to do what they do and what they get excited about. But, you know, definitely got some, you know, I get some nasty little jabs from time to time. And I just go, that's okay. That's okay. Because that's not who I'm making this content for. That's not who I'm here to educate. I'm here to educate the person who's afraid of their camera so that they're excited to use it and start to see uh, the beauty of what they can create uh, with what they already have. I can't ask this question in my accent without sounding completely stupid, but my wife insists that I ask this question. Where did what's shaking bacon come from? <laughs> what shake and bacon? Yeah, so that is an expression very popular to the, you know, American 
South and kind of Texas area. And my grandmother's from Texas and has a little bit of that drawl. And, you know, it was just, you know, when I started the channel, it's like, you got to have your little intro thing, right? Like, it's just, it's a YouTube thing. You have to have your little marker, that little homage that makes everybody know, okay, we're here. We're mentally locked in. We're ready for another episode. And it's just one of those things. And so I thought, you know, that's fun. It's goofy. It's food related. I like bacon just as much as the next person. So my apologies to all the diehard vegans out there, but there's (laughs) vegan bacon too, but (laughs) yeah, it's a, it's just an old expression and uh, it's hokey, just like I'm kind of (laughs) hokey. So let's pivot away from YouTube and just talk about your commercial work. When you're working with a client to produce images for say their restaurant or, or, or whatever, how, how much artistic freedom do you have and how much input do you get to have in the pre-production stage and actually on the shoot? Well, fortunately, over the years, I've really uh, refined my client list and I'm very fortunate to do pretty regular work with a set number of clients sort of on a quarterly or an as-needed basis. And, And the primary focus at this point is food brands and products. And because that, you know, I'm mom to two young boys. And so I like to physically be at the home studio and be at home. And so being able to to work with those kind of brands just affords me that level of flexibility. And I'm... I'm also very fortunate that I, yeah, I've been able to sort of weed out the more complicated clients because it is very hard sometimes to work with, as you well know, work with clients who, you know, have a very set particular vision that is not what you do. And that is very hard to execute. And so I'm super fortunate to have um, most of the clients who I work with are all uh, pretty open and flexible because they understand that, you know, first of all, they, they work with me because they like the work that I just naturally do, that they appreciate that I, and they also appreciate that they don't know what they don't know, that they sort of trust me as the expert from a visual standpoint to communicate their product and their brand uh, in a way that's authentic and relatable, you know, really focusing kind of on that digital content side of things that, you know, things are moving so rapidly, so quickly. And so being able to get their product across in, uh, in a way that is helpful and from a marketing standpoint, I, I've really created some great trusting relationships. So I was saying the other days, talking to my husband again and about a client that I'm working with and we're creating some, some stop motion videos together. And it's great because he's just like, have fun, you know, just like get creative. I, I trust you, whatever you, you know, like you'll do something way better than I could. And so those are obviously like, those are dream clients. Cause those are the folks who, uh, you know, again, respect and see what you do. And, and it's taken though time to get to that place because absolutely, you know, I've done plenty of shoots that I am not proud of the work and I don't love the images and they were hard and they were frustrating and you kind of go, I don't want to do too much more of that, you know? So, um, <laughs> so the, the longer I work and, and a big part of that though, was definitely coming to the realization that, um, I would say the real sort of switch was in realizing, no, I am a professional. I do know what I'm doing coming in with that confidence and then also pricing things, uh, more aggressively to a point where the better call quality clients are willing to pay the better quality pricing that when I was underpricing myself, uh, that that was definitely 
a calling card for, I think, more complicated and difficult clients who just would eat up hours and scope creep. And so, uh, you know, it's, it takes time. And, and I think we all have to kind of go through that experience to get to the point where you go, I had enough of this. And if I'm going to make this a sustainable business, I need to be enjoying this and working with people who enjoy what I do. What are the intangible qualities of a, a good professional photographer? So if you take away the technical aspects, take away the gear, what do you have to have as personality traits to be successful as a, as a professional photographer? You have to be able to sell. You, I, I mean, marketing and sales is such an important part of the equation that, um, you know, I have been in the school of Joel Grimes, you know, been to some of his workshops. He's located here physically in Phoenix, where I am as well. And so I've gotten to attend in some in-person things. And I wholeheartedly subscribe to his school of thought that, yeah, the best photographers are not the highest paid that, that, you know, yes, the work has to be good and what you create, you know, that you should bring everything you have to it. But for sure, the skill and ability to uh, be relentlessly pursuing opportunities and putting yourself out there and connecting and making friends and helping people and making connections, and then absolutely the ability to negotiate and sell. And I think, you know, it's hard to say how gendered this conversation is, you know, just in terms of, you know, women selling their work that I think that, you know, especially just I, I mentor a lot of women who are female photographers, and they just constantly undersell themselves. And I mean, men do too. But I just I see folks and I just go, you are so undervaluing the quality of what you do, you need to get you know, your sales hat on and you need to not be afraid to deliver real pricing and to show somebody the value of what you do and be able to put into those tangibles to say, making this investment in this photography and investing in me as a photographer is going to return to you as a business this much, right? By being able to quantify those things and present them from a, from a business standpoint, because it is a business, you know? So um, a lot of times I think we get caught up in the, in the creative, which again, I love, but I can't do the creative work if I'm not out there hustling. Um, so if I was to decide today to take up food photography, there's a couple of questions I'd really like to ask for anyone out there that is thinking, you know, they, they've got their interest in photography, but they, they are looking to expand into food photography. The first thing I would ask is if I was to try and build up a portfolio as a food photographer, do I need to be a chef to be able to start photographing food? No, you don't need to be a chef. Uh, you know, I wouldn't classify myself as a chef. I do think that it helps to be able to talk the language of food and to understand the behavior of food because, you know, when it comes to I, absolutely, I work with food stylists and uh, chefs and culinary folk. But I, I can speak their language. So I feel like that creates a certain amount of connection there and legitimacy to me as a food knowledgeable person uh, to be able to photograph it. And just, just in terms of, you know, when you look at successful food images that you could have the lighting is perfect and composition is fantastic and you've got all the right props and everything's great. But if the food doesn't look the way the food should or doesn't look its best, that 
the, it's not going to be successful food image. And so much of that, again, maybe it's somebody else who's doing that styling for you, but by being able to communicate with them, what's wrong with the food, uh, is, is absolutely so important by being able to say, yeah, there's not enough glisten there on that meat in order for that to look appetizing. So I think you do have to have an intimate knowledge of the way food should look, uh, to, in order to be effective. What's the most common mistake you see when you're mentoring people in their photography when it comes to food? Mm, that is a good question. I feel like the biggest mistake that people make is that they heard something from someone somewhere that says, this is the way you have to do it. Uh, that, you know, so many people come in, there was a gal the other day, you know, prime example who was sharing her images and she said, you know, I, I shot these at F5.6 and I feel like that was really fitting for the subject, but I shared it somewhere else and they told me I needed a wider depth of field that, that, you know, that's just the wrong aperture. And I said, well, what do you think? You know, that, that we need to be able to, I would just really want people to be able to look at their own work and think about what they like and make the choices and feel confident in that as opposed to saying, well, somebody somewhere told me I should never shoot food above ISO 400. It's going to be a terrible photo. Well, that's not true either. You know, so just people coming in with preconceived notions that there are very set rules. Um, I'd love to banish that. Is there any food that you really don't enjoy photographing? Ah. Uh, Quesadillas are my nemesis. They're the worst. <laughs> How come? Oh, they're just, they're, they're, they're angular. So that's a challenge that you kind of got to layer them, that there's cheese involved, that they're flat, that they're mostly beige in color. <laughs> you can have some success with, you know, I've seen some great, and I've done a lot of image research over the years on quesadillas and I've had to shoot quesadillas. And every time I go, oh, it's the quesadillas. No, <laughs> it's hard to get some sparkle and shine and some height and depth coming up off of quesadilla. So maybe, maybe, Maybe what I need to do is a, a quesadilla challenge or something, issue that to folks. <laughs> yeah, now that you actually say it, and I'm really giving it some thought, it does sound like it would be an incredibly difficult thing to find the angle on uh, without it either being like a really thin picture or just a picture of absolutely nothing from above. Okay, so something that's really prevalent in your YouTube videos, and I think probably overall with you as a person, is just the importance of how supportive your family are. I mean, your your husband's hilarious. He's appeared in quite a few of your videos. How important as someone that's obviously creative, which means you have up days and you have down days in terms of things working out for you and, and maybe ideas not quite flowing, you hit creative blocks. How important is having a supportive family there and having that kind of escape to positivity from photography? Oh, yeah. I think that that's real. I think having some sort of support system and sometimes that's, you know, my husband and my family who, you know, don't understand enough of what I do to take me away from it so that I'm not otherwise, you know, I'm a person who can very easily be compelled to just work all the time and, you know, run myself into the ground. And so there's definitely a balancing factor there. But I think that it's also been very helpful to me to have other photographers who I know that I can, you know, talk shop with and empathize with and just shoot the breeze with and see what we're seeing and what's working, what's not working as well as then to, you know, in the unique space of food photography education, I'm very 
thankful for some other food photography educators out there like Lauren Karras from That Sage. She and I uh, talk from time to time and get on just a little Skype chat to check in, see how things are going, how we can support each other. And uh, Rachel Kornick of Two Love Studio and Skylar Burt of We Eat Together. I consider all these folks colleagues and friends. And so when things get complicated or, you know, there's a lot of uncharted territory sometimes that uh, it's great to have some friends and colleagues who you can go, am I crazy? What do I need to do? What are you doing? You know, just to, just to kind of spitball with that's so helpful. Obviously with you doing YouTube and you doing commercial work and then having a family, do you find much opportunity for personal photographic projects or do they just get filed under YouTube? Uh, I think that all of my personal work definitely ends up being YouTube content. Uh, usually the, I mean, definitely YouTube from a standpoint, you know, I'm planning the content in advance, but there's plenty of times that I'm just like, like yesterday, for example, uh, I had some ice cream and I was like, I just want to play with this and let's see what we can do. And I just kind of need two hours of being creative for the sake of being creative. And so then that con- that turned into content and a piece of education for Instagram that I shared out. And that helps to boost that Instagram audience by sharing that out. So it's definitely like definitely intermingled, but I take a lot of opportunity just to, to play and have fun because that's, that's why I got into this. And so I can always come back to that. Pretty much there. I don't want to keep you too much longer. I'm sure you've got so much to get on with. But uh, one question I do want to ask you, because I don't think you would ever talk about this unless someone asked you. And I think that's due to you being a positive person and uh, you come across as extremely likable. Say for a 10 minute YouTube video, how long does the, the pre-production, the recording and the editing take you to put all of that together to end up with that 10 minute video? Yeah, it it varies depending on the complexity. Uh, I would say it's gotten faster over time. Uh, two, my nerves are not quite as high when I film as when I first started filming videos. Uh, but like, for example, I'm trying to think... Like last week's video, I was comparing four different cameras, say, taking the same shot, four different cameras. Uh, I obviously had to go in and photograph the images that would be shown in the video. And that was probably the more labor intensive part of the process because, you know, I had to really kind of decide, okay, how do I want to frame this shot? You know, just the inevitable process of a photo shoot. And I kept it pretty simple. I was like, heirloom tomatoes will just always look pretty. So I don't have to think too hard uh, when it comes to that, just in terms of food styling. So, you know, that's probably about a three to four hour process to get those final images. Uh, Pre-production of planning the script, that kind of comes together pretty quickly as long as I've got a good idea of what's the subject and what I'm going to talk about. Might do some other research, read up a little bit, make sure I've got all the details and facts straight and things like that. But uh, maybe about an hour's worth of planning and just storyboarding and outline. Uh, and then the filming, you know, for about 10, I've, it's pretty average at this point that if it's a 10 to 15 minute video, for sure, I'm going to film at least 40 to 60 minutes worth of talking. Like it just, 
it's a process of you know getting out the lines because I don't necessarily script it, uh, and so I do find that you know I just want it to come across conversational and very authentic. So I can't script it too much, but I'll inevitably flub or mess up or whatever, and so kind of have to backtrack to the most natural kind of break point. Uh, fortunately, from a YouTube standpoint, YouTube's pretty forgiving that jump cuts are absolutely uh, <laughs> part of that world. So more traditional filmmakers will go, what's with all the jump cuts? And I go, well, it just makes <laughs> life a little easier so I can just get this content out. Um, so, and then from the editing standpoint, it depends on how much B-roll that I'm capturing for that video. Certainly some of the older videos that are more in-depth tutorials, uh, you know, maybe where I've got a lot of different demo or things like that will be a bit more involved. But 10 minutes, probably about, I don't know, three, three hours, four hours. So yeah, I mean, it's definitely about a day and a half's worth of time for any given video start to finish all in. I mean, I think in the end product, it really does show all of those, uh, all those extra little details and that, that extra work that you're putting in really does show. But I just also think it's very important for people that think these things that, te- that take 10 minutes to watch take 10 minutes to make. Um, maybe oh, that yeah. they realize how much more work goes into it. And that's excluding all of the years of experience that have led up to it as well. Okay. I think we're pretty much there. I, I want to let you go. I'll ask you one more question. I'll ask you a nice broad one um, so that it's a little bit more uh, frustrating to answer. And then uh, I'll let you go. So let's take food photography out of the equation. I'm removing it. Um, as English people tend to do to the Americans, we tend to make things less fun. Um, if I took food photography away from you and you had to continue working as a photographer, what what genre of photography would you focus on? Well, I don't know if it's a fair jump or if it's, I mean, I've got to think this is a genre and maybe it's something I need to explore more. I mean, flowers, I love to photograph flowers, but so it's still within the context of tabletop photography, but um, I do really enjoy shooting portraits. I think portraits make me nervous uh, because they lack the control that I'm used to in the tabletop world. But uh, there's some unpredictability there and certainly some skills. But you know, when I do shoot portraits, I do find myself enjoying that process, but not not like family portraits because I can't. I just can't. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's very strange that you say that that, that you find them sort of intimidating or whatever, because you come across as an incredibly friendly, bubbly, lively person who's who seems to be great interpersonally. So it'd be strange because I see a lot of very good portrait photographers that that's probably the only thing holding them back is just that lack of uh, being able to connect with people. You seem to have that part. So it's weird that you find the actual photographing of them to be intimidating. I just, I just want everybody to be happy and people are not happy for the most part. And maybe it's just, I've photographed too many chefs because chefs hate to get their photos taken. It's just like, uh, they just, they're not happy about it. And so I just always feel like it's, I'm apologizing. (laughs) Like, I'm sorry, I have to take your photo. And, you know, I've got my little tricks to make them laugh and the dirty jokes and all that stuff to kind of get people going. Uh, but you know, there's something very personal about, uh, taking somebody's portrait and that connection. And, uh, you know, I've got I've got a friend who's an incredible uh, portrait photographer, and just watching the way he connects with people and puts them at ease. You know, I'm a, a very high strung person, so that high strung energy can kind of stress people out a little bit. Whereas, you know, he's just like this cool, calm, collected, doesn't need to talk much, and and you know, really uh, captures some unique uh, aspects of people. So I I don't know. It's uh, who knows. Never say never. But I probably will never photograph a wedding. I mean, that would be so scary to me. 
Yeah, I'd say I photograph weddings and I think I might just be stupid because I don't feel the pressure at all. I, uh-huh. I just do not notice it at all. Um, and I have people, when I tell them what I do for a living, they gasp and they wince and they, they tell me how terrifying it must be. And I just, I feel like I've almost missed the monster in the horror movie and I haven't quite noticed why I should be scared yet. That's good. That's a good thing. Somebody needs to do it. So I'm glad you're there to do that. <laughs> I think I, if I, we don't have like the same sort of high school system as what you guys had, but if we had the, like the most likely to become famous type scenario in our high school yearbooks, I think I would be most likely to do a job that someone should be doing would be mine. That's about as good as it would get. (laughs) So as I started this off by saying, we found you through non-food photography reasons, but you, you've taught us so much and we're such big fans of yours. We've been subscribers now for, for, I feel like about three years. I can't, I can't even. Mind you, I feel like I've been in lockdown for about three years, so I might just be completely losing it. (laughs) But I want to make sure that as many people as possible realize that just because maybe they don't currently have an interest in food photography, they have nothing to learn from your YouTube channel for sure, and especially your Instagram as well. So could you give us your website, your YouTube channel, and where everyone can find you so that I can throw as many people in that direction as possible? Oh, it's very kind of you. Absolutely. You can find uh, everything sort of leads back to thebiteshot.com. And then out from there, it's youtube.com backslash thebiteshot. And that's the bite, like bite an apple as opposed to a bike. People always got the bike shot. And I was like, there's no no bicycles here. Uh, And then the Instagram is at thebiteshot as well. Well, it's good that you say that because English people don't tend to pronounce the T in most words that they say. You're an absolutely wonderful human being. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. It's massively appreciated. Um, And please keep continue to doing uh, the, the wonderful work that you do. Oh, many thanks. All alone again tonight, but you don't seem to forget about yourself. Let me tell you once again